The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, today we are going to wrap up our series entitled Gospel-Shaped People. We've been in this series for the past few weeks, and I'm going to wait until the end of my message to give you the title of this one, even if you're a note taker. So just leave that title portion blank, because hopefully if I've done my job, you'll be able to know what the title is by the end of this message. When we say gospel, what do we mean? The gospel, the word gospel means good news. The gospel that we refer to as Christians is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again forever triumphing over all of his enemies. So now that there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. The gospel saves us when we respond to it, it strengthens us when we remind ourselves of it, and it shapes us as we grow in understanding the heart of God more and more. The gospel continues to shape us through trials that we face, whether it may be mistakes that we've made, perhaps misfortunes that we've stumbled upon, or even when other people mistreat us. The gospel helps us to prioritize our lives, to live on purpose, and to serve other people passionately in light of eternity. In light of eternity, though, God is calling every one of us to do this one thing. This one thing that by the end of this message, I hope that you've gotten. This one thing that if we live our lives in light of eternity, we need to understand, and it needs to be at the very core of who we are. If you have your Bible this morning, go over to Luke's Gospel in the 10th chapter. Luke chapter 10, we're going to kind of park out there for a while so you can hang out in Luke 10, and we're going to start reading in verse 25. So Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Here's Jesus, and he's having this interaction with a lawyer. And Scripture says in verse 25 of Luke 10, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, well, you know, I've read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here's Jesus, and yet another Awkward conversation where someone is wanting to put their polished trophies and their good deeds at the feet of Jesus in order to secure their position in heaven or in order to somehow uh, get affirmation and appreciation for being one of the good ones. You know, you're one of the good ones. You're, you're a good Christian you're, or you're, you're a good follower of God. You're doing so well. You know what? I'll tell you what. You're the model person. If everybody would just follow you then the world would be a much better place if they would just be like you, this great lawyer that's asking this question. Jesus didn't give him that. He didn't give him that answer. He did not even give him a straightforward answer. Jesus answered him with a story. And this is the story that Jesus answered, the question of who is my neighbor. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road. And he saw this guy, and he passes by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, one of the sons of Aaron, when he came to the same place, he saw this guy, and he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer says, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The gospel shapes us to be willing to be inconvenienced, that we're saying, yes, I, I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'll, I'll sign up for that. I'm willingly inconvenienced because the gospel has shaped my life. It is the fact that Jesus Christ took upon himself your sin and my sin, and he took our place for what we rightfully earn, what we rightfully deserve, and instead said, I'll go in your place so you don't have to receive this because that sin's going to ultimately lead to death, and I'll take it for you, and then I'll give you a pathway through believing in me and trusting in me and having faith in me that you can be in right standing with the holy and perfect God. And you had nothing to do with it. In light of that act, in light of what Jesus did for us, it just makes sense for us to say, yes, Lord, inconvenience me all day long because I am no longer my own. As Scripture says, I have been bought with a price. I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So therefore, I have given up my rights to call the shots anymore. That's what it means when someone is your Lord. Someone is your leader. You're saying, you're the leader. You're the Lord. I am submitting to you. I am your servant. My life is not my own anymore. It belongs to you. What will you have me do? And if it be that I am inconvenienced, I am willing to do it in light of eternity and for the sake of the gospel because the gospel is shaping my priorities. It's shaping my value system. It's shaping what I deem as important, where I will go, who I'll talk to, and what I'll talk to them about. Lord, you call the shots. I'm yours. Here I am, Lord, send me. Because this story has a lot deeper story that you and I may not see at first glance. Jesus made a very intentional, specific point to include a Samaritan man in this story. Because as he's talking to the, the group that he's talking to, and there's this lawyer inquiring of Jesus He's surrounded by Jewish people, and I don't know how well-versed you are on Jewish history during Jesus' day, but the Jews and the Samaritans were not buddies. As a matter of fact, there was no deeper hatred in relationship in society, or there was no deeper bigoted relationship than that of the Samaritans and the Jews. Just to give you just a little bit of history, for centuries, there was a rift that has been existing between the Jews and the Samaritans since the division of the northern and southern kingdoms. The Samaritans were labeled as half-breeds. They were labeled as not true Jews. They were even called dogs, and that was acceptable to call those people dogs. 
They even sided with the opposition during the Maccabean Wars, which by this time were just a little over 100 years old. And so the Maccabean Wars are still fresh on everyone's mind. But yet even during that time, there's a story that I found where there was a group of Samaritans that profaned the holy temple of God and scattered dead bones of Jews in the temple. Man, you want to talk about making enemies? That's one way to do it. Take some of your fellow countrymen's dead bones and scatter them in the temple of your God. Yeah, I don't think the Samaritans and the Jews really got along all that well. There was a lot of hate in between these two groups of people. And Jesus intentionally uses, out of who is my neighbor, this story of this Samaritan being the one who extends help. Because as a Jewish person... You would think another Jew, a fellow countryman, would be willing to stop for someone who is uh, of his own heritage, of his own lineage, to see there's a fellow Jew on the side of the road. But man, even the priest, you thought, surely a priest, that's a good guy, right? We would think of, that's supposed to be a good person, and the priest wouldn't do it. Well, what about a Levite, a son of Aaron, right? This guy can trace his, his lineage back to Aaron. He's, he's got deep roots, you know, uh, connected to, connected to uh, Moses and all this stuff. And yeah, th- this guy, no, he didn't even stop by. He walked on the other side. And I'm scratching my head and I'm going, well, who's going to help this poor guy that's gotten beat up and robbed on the side of the road? And it was a Samaritan. Whoa, 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 whoa. A Samaritan... I'll take help from anybody but a Samaritan. And this is the answer to the question of who is my neighbor. This is the answer to the question of who is my neighbor. Is this story when we see how the love of God transcends barriers, how the love of God shapes and changes our values, our priorities, to even where we can view our enemy as someone that we could receive help from or someone that we should extend help to. I know that a lot of us, we we can identify maybe with the Samaritan sometimes where we do good deeds and we help other people. Sometimes we can identify with the Levite and the priest who just saw a need and weren't willing to be inconvenienced, and we just kept walking by. And sometimes we can identify with the guy that got beat up and robbed. Amen, somebody? Like, man, I'm feeling more like that guy. I need somebody to help. But it doesn't matter who who you identify with in the story. It's answering the question of what is the value system of heaven here? What is the value system of God? What does heaven value? What does our Father, what is important to Him? And when we're shaped by the gospel, our values should change. Our priorities should change. We should be willing to be inconvenienced. We become available. When the gospel shapes my life to such a degree that I value being with Jesus more than simply being efficient, I become available. And where people are available, that is where Jesus is. In our world, man, we get really excited about efficiency. We like being efficient, especially in our country, right? 
We want to know what's going to make the greatest impact, and I want to jump on board with that. I want to make sure that any resource that I have, whether it's my time, talent, or treasure, is stretched out and used for the max. And I found this to be true because I was with a bunch of people from Sheboygan riding to the Harley-Davidson 115th yesterday. And when we go to the 115th, we go to a snack stand. Everybody's hungry. Everybody wants to eat. And I knew I was with a group of guys from Sheboygan because they looked and said, I think we can get it cheaper five miles down the road. (laughs) And so we mounted our motorcycles to go look for a couple bucks cheaper food. And that's what we did. And we want to be efficient. We want to make sure that we're using our resources. We want to make sure we're getting the most bang for our buck. And, And sometimes we even do this when it comes to serving the Lord. Oh, God, I want to be a part of something big, right? I want to see a lot of fruit. I want to see like, you know, at least 100 people show up to my thing. Or I want to see at least 20 people come to Christ. Or I want to see this great thing happen where everyone just wants to be a part of this big thing. And if if, if that, if you can promise me that, then it's worth my time. It it seems to be a good exchange. And so I'll, I'll, I'll exchange my time for it if I can get a big reward out of it and everything turn out great. But what if it's just one? What if it's just for the one? What if it's just for the one and and maybe you're not even the person that gets to see the person come to Christ, but you're just someone who's planting a seed or you're someone who's just coming along and watering a seed in someone else's life. Is it still just as valuable to you then or are you more focused on efficiency? You see, it's not just about being efficient. It's about being available. He said, I'm just looking for somebody to be available. You know who that guy was? Here's some guy that got beat up. Maybe he owed somebody money. I don't know. Maybe he was in like a bad mafia deal. Who even knew that the guy that got beat up on the side of the road and robbed was a good guy? We don't know that. He might have been a terrible human being. And some people would look at him and go, he deserved to get beat up if they knew who he was. We don't know who the guy was, and it doesn't matter who the guy was. The point is, is that there was a need, and someone was willing to be inconvenienced by saying, I'm available. Somebody said, I'm available, and it wasn't who you thought it would be. It was someone who was a natural enemy who had a lot of division there in that time between those two classes of people, those two groups of people, and the the way that the society worked there during Jesus' day, and it probably rocked that lawyer's mind to think that this person would stop. 2 Corinthians 12 and 15, the Apostle Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? The scripture is a hard one because Paul says, I'm not getting the love I'm giving you back. This isn't getting reciprocated, right? This is something that I'm giving you, and man, I, I feel like I just keep giving. And it's, you know, it's something I'm doing over and over again, and I'm But you know what? I'll gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Even if the more I love you, the less I'm loved. Because the Apostle Paul was saying it's not about the efficiency. It's about my availability. It's about me saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it because I'm called to do it. Because in light of eternity, in light of the gospel, in light of how I'm shaped by the gospel, I see that what really matters is doing what God has put on my heart to do and told me to do and just saying yes, being available. Man, there's so much that could be accomplished for the glory of God if people who are followers of Jesus Christ would just say, yes, Lord, here I am, I'm available. 
I'm willing to be inconvenienced. I'll, I'll gladly spend and be spent for the souls, even if it's just for one, even if it's just for one person. It doesn't matter if you get to see the end game or not. It's about being obedient because we're not our own. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm here. I'm available. You see, the gospel shapes my heart to realize how Jesus was willingly inconvenienced for my, my benefit. And it is my pleasure to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. We are intentionally inconvenienced for the gospel because the gospel shapes us to be intentional. The gospel shapes us to be willingly inconvenienced and the gospel also molds us and shapes us to be intentional with what we have and with who we are. The Samaritan man made himself available and he was inconvenienced, but he was also very intentional. Zero in on verse 34. Let's look at that again a little closer. Jesus said that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He brought him to an inn and took care of him? How long was that? doesn't say. It doesn't matter. We don't know. All we know is that he made himself available and he was intentional in making sure that this man, that this stranger knew something, that he knew that he wasn't alone and that he knew someone cared about him. That's what was important in that moment is that this stranger knew that he wasn't alone. You know the very name Jesus, one of the things that they, they said that the angel said to us, that he, he'll be called Emmanuel. And you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. That's what that name means. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is, is God with us. And God wants us to know he is with us. And when we are intentional about being with people, it lets them know you are not alone. It lets them know that we understand we're representing Christ in the earth. And if he is with us, we need to be intentional with being with other people even those that we may disagree with, even those that maybe we would consider enemies. Because the gospel not only shapes me to be willingly inconvenienced, the gospel shapes me to be intentional with the way that I steward my time, my talent, my resources, with who I am, that I'm inconvenienced. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not just, you know, shooting in the dark here. I want to be intentional. I want to say, Lord, what can I do to be more intentional with being with other people? Noticing that there's a need, being aware of a need, being aware of someone else's pain. Because sometimes we get too focused on our own thing and we miss the person that's laying in the ditch that's hurting. Amen? Sometimes we get all focused on ourselves and we look in the mirror looking at our own reflection way too long and we miss what's going on beside us and all around us. And we miss the opportunities that may be all around us at work or maybe around you in your neighborhood or maybe even in your own family. We miss those opportunities if we're not living intentional, but the gospel shapes me to be intentional because the more I remind myself of the gospel, the more my heart begins to be oriented and shaped in a way that I'll be willingly inconvenienced, I'll be available, and I'll be intentional. I'll do what you want me to do, Lord. And I want to do it the way you want me to do it. And I want to be more available for the Lord. 
I've been trying to keep my hand up before the Lord. He's really been working on me a lot lately. And I've been trying to keep my hand up, saying, yes, Lord, pick me. I don't know why this is, but I'm the guy that always gets picked for stuff when you go to like a concert or a show or something. You know when someone looks for audience participation? I don't know if I just have a weird look, if I don't look like anyone else. And so they're like, there's like a light shining on me that's like, he's different. But I, I, I've been picked for all kinds of weird stuff. I, I remember that one time my wife and I were at a third day concert and the lead singer takes the microphone and, and motions over for me to come and sing one of the songs in the microphone. And that was my favorite band at the time. I thought, oh my gosh, this is huge. One time I was at an Audio Adrenaline concert and the lead singer calls me up on stage and I didn't know the words to the song. It was awful, it was super embarrassing. And he puts a microphone in front of my face. We'll go to a, a magic show or something. Anyone want to, do we have any volunteers in the audience? I don't even raise my hand. And they pick me, no joke. And my wife just rolls her eyes and goes, they're going to pick Derek. Because they always do. And I don't know what it is about me that makes them want to pick me in those environments. Because I don't necessarily want to be on stage every time. But I get picked. But I don't know. All, all I can figure is that maybe there's like this eagerness in my eyes to want to be a part of what they're doing. And maybe they can sense it and they can see it because they've been doing this long enough you know, that when they see somebody, they're like, that person, they're eager. I, I want to give them an opportunity. And I just wonder, where is the eagerness in our eyes when it comes to us wanting to be used by the Lord? Where's the eagerness to where our hand is raised and we're saying, yes, Lord, here am I. Can't you see it? Can't you sense it? Stir a passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow. God, I just, I just want to do more for you. I want to serve you more. I want to give you everything. There's an eagerness in my eyes to where I begin to be aware of the opportunities that are in front of me. And I can begin to say yes to the things that God's already put in front of me because I, I'm seeing it, because I'm hungry for it. Because I want it, because I'm passionate for it, because I'm being intentional with the way that I'm living my life. We need to have that eager look in our eyes to serve God, to be intentional with our time, our talent, our tools for the use in His kingdom. Are we eager to make ourselves available? Because the gospel shapes me to be willingly inconvenienced, the gospel shapes me to definitely be intentional, but the gospel shapes me to be irrational. One of our values as a church is that we will lead the way with irrational generosity. And I don't mean irresponsible. There's a difference. I mean irrational to where at least people scratching their head going, you've done enough. Like seriously, it's kind of irrational. You're kind of going overboard with this thing. One of our values here at church is that we're going to lead the way with irrational generosity. And as you look at the story that Jesus told this guy was labeled by Jesus as the good neighbor, the Samaritan. He was irrationally generous. Generous beyond the point that made sense because how many of us would have just stopped by just saying, hey, thanks for what you did. You did a really good job, you know, with the oil and the wine that you used to bind up his wound. I mean, this guy was traveling. He had oil and wine. I don't know if he was going to like a doTERRA party or something. I don't know what he was doing. But apparently he had oil and wine with him. And he used it to bind up the guy's wound. He used it to help the guy out. And he used that and you would go, wow, he used some of his own resource that he brought for himself 
how generous, that's enough. Because we're always looking for this line of enough. Like, when have I done enough, right? To where I can just kind of stop. Where I can go, yeah. And I'll tell you what, when you're irrationally generous, other people will criticize you. Other people will say, why are you doing this? But this man, he, Samaritan, he just saw someone who was in need. And he said, I'll be inconvenienced. I'm going to be intentional. I know this guy is not a Samaritan. I'm going to help him. And then he takes it a step further. Instead of drawing a line, he goes, I'll walk. I'll put him on my animal. Instead of just leaving him there, hoping he gets better, he instead puts him on his animal. And now the Samaritan who brought the animal so he could ride, so he could be comfortable, now he's going to be uncomfortable so someone else who is an enemy in the eyes of most people in that day is, now, now, these, now this guy's going to be comfortable and now the Samaritan guy is willing to be inconvenienced. And then he uses his own money. And he doesn't just use enough money to just get by because you go, whoa, the animal, you know, letting him ride on your animal, binding up his wounds, man, that was great. Haven't you done enough? He goes, no, I'm going to do something else. This is really irrational at this point because when has he done enough, right? And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you enough money to take care of this guy because I got to go away and do some stuff. But I'll tell you what, if this money doesn't take care of all this guy's needs, just in good faith, extend me some credit, and when I come back, I'll pay the bill. You know I'm good for it. Give him whatever he needs. The guy could have just, you know, ordered room service every day, you know. It doesn't matter to the Samaritan because compassion was driving him. Love was driving his decisions. And the gospel shapes us to be irrational as well, not to say, I've done enough. This guy paid for a stranger's recovery until he got better. He gave the innkeeper an open tab for this guy until he got better. He didn't say, hey, this guy's going to pay me back. He's an old friend of mine. No, it's a stranger. And this was in response to being a good neighbor. And who is my neighbor? He irrationally made his resources available to benefit someone else. And I want to ask a question, and I don't mean this to be a condescending question. I just want you to think about this because I'm in this question as well. I'm not exempt. So when I say we, I mean all of us, we, myself included. How many times have we held generosity back because we wanted credit or because we wanted to make sure that the person we were being generous to wasn't going to abuse or misuse our generosity? And we almost put stipulations on something that the Lord has put on our hearts to do. And we're saying, well, God, I know you want me to do this, but I just want to make sure it's all going to check out first. Uh, I want to do it all this way first. No, this man didn't say, hey, buddy, you doing okay down there? Looks like you got beat up. That looks like it hurts. Could you uh, fill out this form for me real quick? I just want to make sure that if I help you out that uh, you're not going to, like, you know, do me wrong, okay? No, he just saw a guy that was deeply wounded and hurt, and he helped him. He helped him right there where he could. He didn't interview the guy. Maybe it could have even been a trap. (laughs) Who knows? He didn't know. All he knows is that he saw a need, 
and he had compassion, and he was irrationally generous with a stranger. Let's flip over to the book of Matthew as we're wrapping up this morning. Matthew 25. And this is one of those passages of Scripture, man. It doesn't need any real explanation or commentary. Jesus speaking, it really speaks for itself. Matthew 25 and verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all nations, and He will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it unto me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we didn't minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a Christian songwriter by the name of Keith Green, and he wrote a song called The Sheep and the Goats. And it's kind of humorous, and then it gets kind of dark, and it's kind of a true, somber message. And at the end of the song, as he begins to basically sing through this, this passage of Scripture we just read and kind of act it out, he says something. He said, the difference between the sheep and the goats was what they did and did not do. And as I think about that, I think this is the calling. This is the calling to follow Jesus. This is how those truly impacted by the gospel will act. Not because we're told to, but rather out of the overflow of being shaped by the gospel. You see, there's a difference in me trying to work my way into earning God's favor. That doesn't work. Jesus has already given me access to God. And now I have favor with God because of Jesus, not because of me. And now any good works that I do are because the gospel has shaped my heart and has moved me in such a way that my response naturally is to present my body as a living sacrifice, to give Him everything, to take up my cross, to deny myself. That's the cost of following Jesus because that's how the gospel should impact us who say we are Jesus followers, we are Christians, we are Christ's followers. The gospel should be shaping everything in our lives to where we're willing to be inconvenienced, we're willing to be intentional, and we're willing to be irrational to show someone else 
the love and truth of Jesus Christ because the gospel is shaping us. And yeah, you might be criticized. Yeah, you might be mocked. Yeah, you might have people point fingers at you, but it doesn't matter because you're not your own. You're serving Jesus, not other people's opinion of you. Amen, somebody? Irrational generosity is worship. It's sacrifice. It's a response of gratitude. Christ followers making their time, talent, and treasure available is the gospel in action. And us giving grace is us loving the undeserving because we were undeserving. And yet, we are loved in spite of our sin. That is the gospel. If we have been impacted by the gospel and are truly being shaped by the gospel, we'll be available. We'll say, yes, Lord, here I am. The world we live in is continually searching for the most efficient way to live. But the Christ follower prioritizes things a little differently. We prioritize simply being available, saying, here I am, Lord. Because there's an eagerness in our eyes. There's a passion in our hearts. There's a prioritization of living in light of eternity. You remember Jesus walking through the crowds? You remember some of these stories that maybe you've heard if you've grown up in church? Or you've heard a sermon or two talking about Jesus' miracles? When Jesus would walk through the crowds, people were all the time messing up wherever he was trying to go. Jesus is trying to get from point A to point B, and somebody goes, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Some blind guy. Some little kids are trying to break through the crowd to go sit on his lap, and the disciples are like, no, you're inconveniencing Jesus. And he picks up the child and says, don't forbid these kids to come to me. Sits the kid on his lap. I'm willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of this child because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The woman who had the issue of blood, she said, if I could just... Touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She pushed through the crowds, pushed people out of the way. And Jesus is just walking through the crowds. And she grabs him and he stops and he acknowledges her. And she says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He was being inconvenienced all the time. Jesus, I know you're going this way, but would you come this way and see me? My, my, my daughter is sick and I'm afraid that she's dead. And he's like, yes, I, I'm available. Jesus said, this is why I came. I didn't come for those who are, who are rich, who think they've got everything together. He said, no, no, I came for the poor. I came for those who are, who are weary, those who realize the value that I have to bring. He said, I'm here for you. I'm available. And we as representatives of Christ, as followers of Christ, are called to be available as well. The gospel lived out is not easy for our flesh. That's why following Jesus requires that we Crucify our flesh. The cost of following Jesus and living out the gospel is that we crucify our flesh, we take up our cross, we live as a living sacrifice, and that we love God, we love people, and we serve the world with a passion. The title of my message this morning is Available. Are you available? Are you eagerly looking for opportunities for God to shine through you? For the gospel to shape you in such a way. Remind yourselves of it. So out of the overflow of this passion in our hearts, we can, we can serve others. We can love others with the love of God. We can live on purpose with our priorities in the right order. We can be inconvenienced. We can be intentional. We can be 
irrational. By living out of the sense of being shaped by the gospel. As we're poured into, we pour right back out. Are we available? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with our church family. I would pray, God, that you would continue to shape us by the gospel in this process of sanctification that's molding us and shaping our mind to be renewed, to think in line with heaven, to value what heaven values, to live walking after the spirit, not after the flesh. Help us to do that, God, only by your strength and by you opening our eyes to see our need for Christ every day and every moment, not just in the moments where things are going wrong. Help us to grow, Lord, in our heart to serve you, to live for you, to learn, Lord, how great a gift we've been given and to live a life of gratitude in response to that great gift that you've given us of salvation. Let that never get old. Let that song never get old to sing. Let those scriptures never become commonplace. Keep it fresh in our hearts, Lord. Stir a passion in all of us to want to serve you more and to live for you. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.